Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. With topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development, our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to LT Brings the Heat podcast. I'm your host, Sean Laird. I got a special, special guest today. Uh, it's my guy, Jack Perkins. Um, been training Jack since forever, it seems like, since he was 11, 12 years old. Um, and he's doing big and awesome things. And, and he just got done with an offseason training here at LT, but I hadn't seen him for years. And I've been sitting there thinking about it. I was like, man, I've been wanting to get Jack on the podcast for a long time. And this is no better time than in person right here. And, uh, but you guys don't want to hear from me, so I'm going to have Jack start talking right now. But how you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think a lot of the listeners, you know, we've talked and I've had conversations. I've explained things in the past about, like, certain guys that we've trained and stuff. I don't know if I've actually – I may have or may not have used your name at certain times. It's been so long since the last episode. Um, it's been crazy this past year, renovating LT and all this stuff. Um, so now we're getting ready to rock and roll. And, Jack is getting ready for spring training. He's getting ready to head out here in a few days. Um, so, Jack, kind of like, tell us your story a little bit. The listeners that are that are kind of hearing in, and tell us about you, like where you played high school ball at, and and kind of you know just transition to where you are today a little bit. Yeah, so Kokomo native, um, went to Kokomo High School, highly recruited. Um, you know, it's a different world now than it was. I'm sure when you were playing and when everybody else was playing especially with the recruiting process, it just starts so young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to events in seventh and eighth grade and people already have offers and I'm just like, holy cow, this is nuts. <laughs> um, but l- I was lucky enough to be one of those highly recruited guys that was committed early as a sophomore and got recruited by some big colleges. And um, it's just a, it's a crazy process. So ended up deciding going to Louisville. Um, for me, it came down to Louisville, Indiana and Kentucky. Um, chose Louisville, you know, Power Five program, tremendous history of you know, making it to Omaha, still trying to win their first World Series, which hoping best of luck to them. Um, went to Louisville as a freshman, was our midweek starter. And this is the fall of 2018, correct? Spring of 2019. Sorry, spring of 2019. Spring of 2019 is the first official season of Louisville. Yeah, so spring of 2019 at Louisville, um, started the year off kind of as a mid-reliever. Was doing well, was throwing hard, stuff was good, felt good. Um, won the mid relief or mid midweek role for us. Um, had four or five starts as a midweek starter um, before blowing out my arm. Ended up having TJ June of 2019. So right when they were going on that great run, which where they went to Omaha, won a super regional. Um, just a great year overall to be a part of. Um, like I said, you know the history. And the success is why you go there and being able to experience that as a freshman was very cool and and very unique i feel like um which kind of for me led to the process of wanting to get back from rehab right i mean nobody wants to go through it a lot of, it can be a lot of the downfall to a lot of guys you know a lot of guys don't want to do the day-to-day to get back for me it was more of an incentive like okay now i gotta get back i gotta get back so we can go win and do these things um so I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, came back from the rehab process. Threw well, stuff was good. Mentally and a little bit physically, I think I had a little bit of a setback. I wasn't as confident as I had been before. 
uh, which led to me not having as great of a year my junior year as I probably would have liked to. Um, especially being a drafter, you know, that's always your hyped year that you're looking forward to going into that process again. Um, and for me, it just didn't work out like I thought it would. Um, so I ended up entering the transfer portal, went to Indiana this past year with Coach Mercer and Dustin Glant, who came on as a new pitching coach. Did a great job just getting me back to where I thought I could be and getting going in the right direction there and ended up getting drafted this year in the fifth round by the Oakland Athletics. And now I'm off and going with the pro career and hoping to be successful and get going with that. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of a great synopsis, especially for the listeners that, that don't know you and kind of have an idea. And kind of what I want to do with this episode is we're kind of just, we're letting this happen organically. You know, I've known Jack for a long time. He's known me for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's that mentor blend that Jack's a friend now. And, and we train, right? We're, we're working. But Jack's, you know, he's got a lot of knowledge that he's learned from a lot of people in his life. Um, he's had a great family support of his entire life. And we're going to kind of touch on a lot of things that's kind of helped him, guide him to where he's at. Um, but one thing I kind of want to touch on, I'm going to kind of, I kind of want to touch on the mental toughness aspect of an injury. Because that's, you know, I, you and I both, like, we talk about stuff like that all the time. And, like, you really haven't had any kind of serious injury. Like, I mean, you've had some, you had some little nicks, cuts, and bruises, I guess, over the years. But that was, like, the first serious thing that set back. Because, obviously, for those who don't know, Jack was – Highly talented coming out of high school, was going to get drafted pretty high. Ended up getting drafted out of high school, I think, with the Braves, right? And um, but wanted to go to school. And by the way, for those who are listening, I think Jack graduated school in about three years. Is that right? Yep. Is that double major? Yep. Yeah, double major in three years. For those who are listening that don't understand how important education is, um, but kind of break us down like the initial reaction to it, kind of what led up to it. Was it something that just happened? Just Ran at random, or did, was it kind of building up? Like, kind of break us down exactly how that happened. So for me, I feel like it was kind of built up. Um, you know, throwing as hard as I did as a high schooler, my my body not being mature enough to handle that type of force and exertion yet. I always had kind of had some elbow soreness in high school, which you remember from me playing. Like it was always kind of there, but it was never a big issue, right? Like it was always I was sore for a couple of days and I was good. Um, as you get into college. You know, the volume increases, the frequency increases, the weight room lifting aspect of it increases to an extent. And it's kind of just a shock to the body, I feel like, especially throughout a 12-month period as a freshman. Um, And I think, you know, my muscles have been strong enough for so long that eventually they just gave out and everything just went straight to the UCL. Um, I kind of had some mechanical flaws as well. I had late arm action, wrist wrap, some things that weren't beneficial for that in the first place. Um, and like I said, eventually it just kind of gave out. I had kind of felt it coming a couple weeks before it officially blew. I had kind of mentioned it and, you know, we were just at such a good spot in the season. I was starting to really get going and catch my stride and, you know, get this playoff push going on. Like it's a big time of the year that you're really excited for. So it was never something where we were like, you know, let's, you know, let's take a step back and rehab it. It's like, if you can get through it, let's get through it and address it once the season's over. But unfortunately I wasn't able to make it all the way through, but um, yeah, I think I think the biggest way to describe it is shock. Mm-hmm. You know, like you never think you're going to be the guy to go through it until you get that MRI and they're like, "Hey, you know, it's torn. Like it's time to go through it." And mm-hmm. It's just I just remember calling my parents, and the first thing I did is cry. Mm-hmm. You know, just because, like I said, not because I was hurt and had to go through rehab, but because you know you're missing out on going to Omaha, you're missing out on pitching a super regional, you're missing out on. All these things you work all fall and off season four to go do, especially being able to do as a freshman and to have that just kind of taken away from you, 
it is. It, it's it's shocking and it's hurting, but at the same time, the mentality aspect and the perspective coming out of that, and my perspective, that's what separates who's going to overcome this and who's going to let it define them and hold them back. So absolutely, and, you know, that's that's kind of a good. For those who don't know, Jack was a great athlete, played football in high school. Um, you know, the, the, the tenderness in the elbow, and I always use this analogy too, because I feel like the same thing, I was very similar in a lot of ways, like, you know, the body gets so strong and the joints are kind of playing catch up a lot of times, and, you know, the small things, and when I was playing back in the day, like, a lot of the knowledge that I have now, and a lot of the knowledge the PTs and doctors have, they, they, they didn't have, and you kind of just get playing the guest game. And, you know, as you get stronger and you get, you know, you're throwing hard all the time, you're going to have that stress that a lot of people are. And, you know, some guys have biomechanical issues, some guys have issues inside and, and, and it's kind of like a flip of a coin, like a luck game in a lot of ways. Um, and some guys like slowly progress, like you were always a hard thrower and build up dramatically, you know, at a young age. And there's other guys, they don't end up start throwing hard till they're 17, 18 years old. I think that that 100% plays a factor in, in stress over time. Um, but let me ask you from the mental side of things like you know it's, it's obviously not easy you know to to think about back on the day but i'm sure that there's a lot more toughness from a mental perspective and like you went through this not only did you go through this but you went and you've gone on to be very successful at IU and then get drafted what do you think was the biggest thing that you learned from that from a mental edge perspective on a day in and day out i think for me just that confidence doesn't come from success confidence comes from the process of attaining success. Mm-hmm. Um, the road I, travel. Exactly. For me, it, like, I think growing up, I was always just uber successful at what I did. I never realized the day to day is truly one, what you actually enjoy out of it. The success is just a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, going through the Tommy John journey, going through the first year out of Tommy John, and then having the more successful year this past year. It was just, I always had had that success early on. And when you come out of it, you do the full rehab process and you aren't having success. It, it's like, what just happened? You know, I did all this work. Why is it not, you know, why is it not coming to fruition? Why is my plans not working out? And for me, I wasn't necessarily doing the right things that I needed to do to get me where I needed to be. I'd always worked hard. I'd always outworked everyone, but I wasn't doing what made Jack Perkins better. I was just working hard on everybody. Yep. Which that works to an extent, but when it comes to, like I said, I had some mechanical flaws that some people were just completely overlooking. It's mm-hmm. things that I knew, but I wasn't knowledgeable enough to address by myself. And then finally, when I got put in front of those people and some of those things were addressed, the hard work takes over, yep. right? I mean, now you know you have your the plan. steps to take, you have the plan, and then from there, it took off. So for me, the mentality side of it, I think a lot of people get too caught up in, you know, this dude's so confident because he's so successful. And it's like, you know, this dude's confident because he trusts what he's doing on the day to day that makes him successful. Yep. And that's what people get. I think the confidence thing, and I always say this all the time, I love, I actually love cocky players. And for me, when I, when I say cocky, it's not condescending toward others. It's someone that believes that no matter what odds they're stacked against, they can overcome those odds. And I think that gets confused with being condescending. Like I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of being being condescending. I know that you are respectable. Doesn't matter who it is, you're always going to respect people that are in front of you. Treat them with respect. You know, kids want autographs, you sign autographs. All of those good things. But that's where I think I think that people get confused. Is like you're so confident because you've been through the downs, 
you've conquered the downs, but also like, that's the other thing is like, and David Goggins talks about this and all these guys that people that are listening to understand is like, you know, you've gone through hell, you've gone through the bad times and knowing that you can conquer through those. And I'm not only just doing those at certain times, it's a daily thing. Cause for example, how many hours a day did you do rehab and therapy when you were getting back? Probably four or five hours a day. Exactly, right? And how many people are truly, and I don't think people understand. Most people, when they think of UCL surgery, they think that everybody comes back. Everybody gets UCL, and that's actually not true. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a thick percentage of people that never come back from UCL. When I was at South Alabama, there were a lot of guys that never came back. Um, and so, but like, for instance, there's not many guys that are willing to do that four to five hours a day to do the strengthening, to do the mobility and all of those things, you know, and that's from that though, like if I could do four to five hours a day of boring, mundane therapy, man, I could do whatever I need to do when it's hard in the weight room or hard at seventh inning in the game or all of those things, right? Like that's, that's kind of the mentality and it's the day in and day out stuff. And that's when people use the word grind, like that's the grind. That's what that really means. The grind isn't, you know, showing up, going four for four as a hitter, or, or you throwing a CG with 15 Ks. The grind is doing the stuff that's not on camera. Yeah. And that's the day in and day out stuff. Now, let me ask you this. Like, the big thing is people think the therapy, you know, velocity-wise, you know, before and after, you're pretty much the same. Is that about right? Are you, are you sitting a little higher? Like, kind of break that down a little bit. Is that about the same or different? Sitting higher, I mean... You know, I think a lot of it too is just you have a full year solely in the weight room, basically, right? Um, so I have a full year solely to work on my body, get stronger, upper, lower shoulders, elbow, whatever it was, ankles, knees, everything was able just to get dramatically stronger. Mm-hmm. Now that I have a 10 mile an hour jump, no, but I went from, I was 90, 93 as a freshman, hit five, six, once or twice to as a junior, as a reliever, I was 94, 97, mm-hmm. up to 99. Mm-hmm. Now back as a starter, it's a different training regimen, right? Yep. To an extent, 93, 96, touching 97. So I would say I hold my VLO better. Um, but if you technically look at the range, it's not too dramatically different. Now saying that, and that's good information for those who are listening how important it is. Um, how much of that, you know, obviously the weight room, how much the actual like recovery therapy work do you think play a role in that? You think it's mainly the weight room, or do you think like paying attention to little things? Like, did you, did you also like you know all the rehab for strengthening the flexors, the mobility part of that? Do you think that helped out a lot too, or do you think it's mainly the weight room stuff? No, I think you have to have a balance. Mm-hmm. The guys that are too big and too strong are too tight. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be big and strong and flexible. You have to have the equal balance because if not, like I said before, your body isn't able to complement each other the way that it needs to. One side's gonna overpower the other, whether it be flexibility or strength, at least to torn muscles, torn ligaments, whatever it may be. So you have to have that equal balance, but that's what it is, it's a balance. You know, there's being too flexible as well, and ligaments and tendons being outstretched that you can't yep. have either. So. There just has to be that equilibrium, and I think that's why assessments when it comes to strength training and flexibility are so important when you first come into college, when you first start training with somebody new, yep. new organization, just so that, you know, everything's, I say, it's not individualized, but to an extent it mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, certain people need certain things, and they don't need other things, and I think that's very important when it comes to the health and longevity. An athlete. No, that's a phenomenal point. So for those who are listening, Jack came back. I haven't seen him. Man, it's been a while. It's probably been five, six years, like actually training him in the weight room. Um, 
Yeah. Four or five years. Well, anyways, like when he first came in, so there's certain things like Jack was saying, like individualization, like that, that word is overused a lot, but he's hundred percent right. There's certain guys that need certain things like Jack is strong and powerful. So are we going to spend a lot of time trying to build up, build up, build up, build up strength and build up below? No, that is a part of our training program where a lot of it is assessing his thoracic spine mobility, his hip mobility, making sure his hamstrings are flexible, make sure his ankles and knees, like everything across his entire body are working efficient. So like his first day, we had a 12 exercise list of going through things this year, things to keep all these things working efficient and moving well, um, keeping the low back healthy, all those things. And like, that's what he's trying to tell you guys. Um, for those that are listening, like the strength part and the power part is a huge and integral part of it. But there's certain guys like Jack too that, you know, let's say, you know, you're spending 50-50, you might need to spend 60%, a 70% of the time at certain times focusing on mobility and spend a little bit extra time on those things, especially when it comes to a recovery standpoint after your training um, and like for, you know, different splits and different things you're going to do in season. Um, so I'm glad that you touched up on that because there's a lot of people, I think, that go balls to the wall in the weight room and they don't understand like, hey, you know, if you <laughs> You got tightness in your elbow, your hips are bad, you can't open your hips, there's no hip shoulder separation throw. You're talking about you know, arm lagging behind. Those are serious things that over time can kind, of, can kind of break things down. Let's kind of dive into like, let's go back to the college days. Like um, you left Louisville, you went to IU, um, kind of what was the big decision in order to do that? And on top of that, like, you know, you know, I, I know you're a spiritual person, as we both are. We both believe in God. Like, kind of walks through that process and how important, you know, you know, faith was in that process as well. To me, it was everything. I mean, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it still mm-hmm. because kind of a similar instance to where I'm making the phone call to my parents about, you know, my season's over. I have to have surgery. That feeling of shock. The same emotion came to me when I called Coach Mack and told him I was in the transfer portal, right? And... Not because I didn't think it's what I needed to do or what was best for me moving forward for my future, but you think about the friendships you make over three years at college. You think about the journey you've been on, the experiences you've had, and it's like, okay, now I have to go start over and do that again. That same start over feeling um, that I had with the recovery process just kind of hits you. Mm Because it's like, and I talk to my parents about it a lot, like, I never thought this was going to be my path. But I wouldn't change my path for anything because I've matured in so many different ways. I've developed in so many different ways. I've learned so much that it's like I wouldn't take that back just to be a first rounder after three years. It's like this is why I'm going to be a big leader for five to ten years because I've developed and matured and done these things that are going to set me up for a future. And again, maybe I'm not a big leader. But to me, if I look back and I am, I'm going to be like it's because of those days and why that happened. Absolutely. Um, but from a faith perspective, yeah, I remember, I remember calling Coach Mack and I talked to my parents and just being in shock. And I remember I'd, we had FCA at Louisville text the three main guys, Chris Morgan, head of FCA, Darian Sanders, I'm so very close with. Um, he's who I had Bible studies with on a weekly basis and Colin Lyman, who's an ex-baseball player at Louisville that I met with frequently. And I texted him, I was like, hey, this is like the biggest decision of my life. I just need you guys to say a prayer for me really quick and like, just help God tell me what he wants me to do. Um, and that's all, this is all during the draft process too, right? I still have the option to go to the draft. And it's like, do I just sign and get it over with? Do I get out of college or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that. Just never had an easy feeling about the draft. Um, had gone to Indiana on a visit, like maybe two days before the draft. 
felt really good about it. The one piece for me that was missing at Louisville was a relationship with my coaching staff, mm-hmm. which grant some, some players don't need it. And I'm not saying what they do is wrong. I'm not saying what IU does is right. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this with Mercer all the time. There's just two sides to it. You have the development and player relationship and you have the recruitment and overly successful athletes that can just come in and play right away. Yep. Um, so for me, I needed that relationship. Like, like we've talked about, like yep. we've formed a relationship over the years. I prefer relationship over the player. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a relationship with your players in order to form the culture that you truly want. Mm-hmm. Unless the players take over that culture. Like yep. I said, there's two sides to it. Yep. Um, but for me, that's what I needed. And with Mercer, immediately felt, you know, a father figure, a mentor um, in him. And then meeting Dustin Glant, who wasn't even there yet, I actually committed to Parker mm-hmm. when he was there. So that was another culture shock. Mm-hmm. And we're just sitting there, and Mom's like, you know, this is a God thing, Jack. Like, not that Dustin or Parker would have been bad for you, but whoever's going to come in is going to be the perfect guy for you. Yep. And she was not wrong. Like, Glant <laughs> has been, like, my saving grace. He's you know, cleaned me up mechanically. He's helped me out mentally. Um, I like to say he was my Sean Laird of Indiana. Like he just had that aspect for me, you know, Mm -hmm. someone that wasn't afraid to get on me, but also knew what to do to get me right. And also show me love and grace too. Absolutely. Um, So from a faith aspect, looking back, going through it, you never know, right? You're always like, why is this happening? God, like what is going on Mm -hmm. until you look back and you're like, Oh, that's that's why why I have So, it's, it's one of those things that your plan's never going to be the best plan. And in reality, if you try and follow through with what you think is best, a lot of times God's going to put you right where he wants you to be anyways. And I think through the process, the more I stepped back and took my hands off the wheel, the more God was kind of able to grab it and be like, okay, this is where we're going and this is why. And then you look back and like, oh, that's why it happened. Mm-hmm. So kind of crazy. It's kind of a surreal thing that... I don't know that you can necessarily explain until someone truly decides to let God into their life. But for me personally, it's everything and been a key factor in getting me here where I am today. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, that's, you know, the one thing I'm taking away from that is like when you said like taking your hands off the wheel, there's a lot of times like myself, you know, and, and people like you try to force things to happen. Like this is gonna happen no matter what, and it's it's great to have that personality because it's a never give up personality. But sometimes you just gotta you put your head down, you say, okay, this is the road you want me to take on, God. Okay, this is the road I'm gonna take, and then you just do the work, and then over time, like you said, you look back and go, wow, I mean, I, I just traveled, you know, two years, and this is where I'm at. If it wasn't for this to happen two years ago, I wouldn't be here. And and it's it's those mistakes that we make. It's the mistakes that we don't make when we end up getting, you know, you know, bad luck from uh, injuries or whatever. It's those things that shape us into who we are. I'm really glad you got a chance to touch on that too, because that's that's. I mean, it's a big deal, you know. This I, I can relate to that in a lot of ways, but it also is just it's it's cool to see, you know, not only the maturity level from a mental perspective, but just the faith in like, hey, you're not going to give up because you know what's going to work out in the end, and that's that's the really cool part. So now when you get to IU and, and Glenn helped you out with all that stuff and that's and, and obviously, you know, I, I played with Parker now who's now in South Carolina um, when I was in high school and I played against Mercer. I know those guys really well, those guys are awesome dudes. You know, what's the big what was the big difference in that like you know, obviously I know the focus is development and, and, and that kind of that family atmosphere, that mentor atmosphere. Um, what was the biggest difference from, you know, a competitive standpoint? 
from there versus Louisville. I know the development is a big part of it, and Louisville's got a lot of blue chippers that show up. You know, if you could say, hey, these are the two main differences between the schools, what would they be? Exactly. And I know the development is a big part of it, but like, you know, from the aspect of the day in and day out, the grind, the, you know, the players, all of those things. I think from a locker room perspective, from a player perspective, competition-wise, you're playing all the same schools. You're, I mean, you're doing all the same. Granted, Louisville's ACC, Indiana's Big Ten. Yep. A lot of people make that out to be a huge difference, which it does maybe strength of schedule at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But realistically, you're getting to play top teams wherever you're at. Yep. Um, locker room-wise, you know, I just don't... I think the difference is, like you said, like Louisville has the blue chippers. Mm -hmm. They come in, you know you're good, you're a top 50 player in the country. The difference is, you come into Louisville, everyone there's a top 50 player in the country. Like, you better work hard if you want to get into that lineup. Unless mm -hmm. you're a godsend, you're Brendan McKay, who's, you know, two-way player of the year. Yep. Three years in a row, whatever. Yep. Um, and they have those, they come in. IU does too, which is not as frequent of a basis in my mm -hmm. opinion but with that being said I think Indiana's coaching staff has done a great job of knowing that knowing where they stand from a recruiting perspective because they have great facilities I'd say Indiana's facilities honestly are better than Louisville's facilities if I if you want to go off that perspective yep so to me it's like the only difference really is the history of the program to this point Mm -hmm. And that plays into effect of how each one recruits. Like I said, Louisville just goes and gets the top dogs. Indiana will get one or two, and then they have to develop their other ten for that recruiting class to be at a point midway through their sophomore year to junior year where they're going to compete at that high of a level with the Louisville guys. Mm -hmm. And that's why you notice, like, when Louisville and IU play each other, it's always a scrappy game. It's always a very good competitive atmosphere, whether it be in season, in the playoffs, whatever it is. Um and like I said, you know, I just think I give a lot of credit to Mercer and Glenn and Ditton Sagerman, Simmons, Weatherford. I mean, they just know their job and they're not afraid to go execute it. They're not afraid to take a diamond in the rough and groom him into mm -hmm. what he can be and see in him what he might not even see in himself. And, you know, I think that plays a way in life. Like, think about finances, the stock market, whatever it may be. Like, sometimes you got to take the risky play for it to pay out. Yep. In a couple of years, right? Hundred percent. Those end up; those payouts end up being a lot more beneficial in the long run too. Like taking the risk, the diamond in the rough, the guy that is kind of forced. Because I always say this all the time: the guys that, are, that show up at college, and this isn't everyone. The show up at college, the top fifty players, they're not used to struggle. They're not used to that grind. They're not used to like. Would you want them in the back alley and fight to help you help you back? Not not all the time. Not very often because they're not used to that grit. But someone who's that diamond in the rough that's been through it been through the mud and then all of a sudden becomes the dude that's a guy that I want in my back on my back you know that's that's a guy that have my back and that's I think that's a really good point is a lot of times you see a lot of guys in the big leagues you know there are there are everybody in the big leagues are big time guys but I guarantee if you interview every single guy that's played in the MLB over the last hundred years the majority of them were diamonds in a rough at one point in time and then worked out through it. And you're going to have your small 10 to 20% that were the Brendan McKay's, you know, so forth. I, I, immediately for me, I thought of Manny Ramirez, but a lot of people don't understand like Manny Ramirez, like he was a guy back in my day, that guy worked his ass off all the time. And people, people didn't understand that. People thought he, just because he was laid back and cool, but every single person you would hear talk about him, he worked, 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 worked all the time. So 
I kind of want to dive into like when you started making the mechanical changes and you started cleaning things up, you know, was it more the conversations and kind of breaking down video, conversations with your coach? Was it more analyzing some tech? What were kind of the biggest things that you feel like that you helped you the most from a tech standpoint? Um, you know, obviously the relationship was a good thing, but you know, kind of break that down for us a little bit. I think there's a difference between having technology and knowing how to utilize it. Mm -hmm. um, Glant, he was a AAA pitching coach with the Yankees. Yankees are uber on tech. Like that's that's all their development is with their guys. Like learning how to spin the ball, learning how to do these crazy things that TrackMan can tell you, which I still don't even know half of. Like mm -hmm. I learned a lot, but it's amazing what some of these guys can know. So having someone that knows pitching analytics, pitch design, pitching mechanics from a biomechanical standpoint come in and be like, this is where you're deficient, this is where you need to be better. For me, instantly, I was like, I trust everything you're telling me right now. Like, I have never heard what you're talking about. You just know. But I know you're confident in what you're saying, mm -hmm. so I'm going to do it. And like I said before, when you're confident in the process you're putting in, like I said, whether that be a rehab, whether that be day-to-day, -day, just your warm-up, recovery work, whatever it may be, bullpen work, you have that in place and you trust the person telling you what to do. I mean, the sky's the limit because you're just going to take off the confidence builds, you continue to get better. Murray Mercer called me after getting drafted and having a conversation with the ace scout that had called me and he was like, the thing you guys don't realize is Jack's just now getting ready to take off. Mm -hmm. And then going into my first fall with the ace and seeing how well I did, I was like, you know, he's right. Like, I feel like I'm just now clicking. Like, I'm getting consistent. I'm doing the things that people had always said was a downfall of me as a pitcher. Now it's like, that's not me anymore. Like, I'm becoming this better and better pitcher week in, week out. Um, so just having the tech and the knowledge of a pitching coach to be able to trust, that's the other thing. Like, anyone can tell you to do it. Anyone can know the tech. And that, again, to me, that's why the relationship is so important. If you tell me something, I'm going to listen to you because I trust you and you have that relationship. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the relationship with your player, even though they're going to try and do what they're, they're telling you to do, there's always going to be in the back of their head, like, I don't know if I like this isn't me like this isn't what I need type of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yep. So that's trust is such a big factor. You got to know one that coach is gonna would run through a wall for you, but also has your best interests at heart because there's a lot of times where sometimes guys just try to impression one thing in one way on how to do things. And you know we always use the term old adage is more than one way to skin a cat, but also like you have to meet people where they are. Um, you know, especially when it comes to like tech and stuff, like you get, like if you can't explain it to a waitress on the napkin, you don't know it well enough. But at the same time, too, like we had Lid Bloom on, Josh Lid Bloom on a long time ago, and he was talking about kind of the same thing you are. Like, you know, the tech's awesome and everything, but the feel and the relationship with your pitching coach or your instructor or whoever, that's a big part of it, too, because there's certain things that you've got to be able to communicate and measure that's not on screen or whatever you're looking at. You know, one of them is what's between the legs, but <laughs> like you gotta be, you gotta be a guy that wants to be in that situation. And I know you're a guy like that. You don't back down from anything. And that's, that's something that's a big deal. Like for me, I immediately, I think started thinking of Blake Snell in the world series about three years ago. Mm -hmm. I know if I would, if I, if I was coaching you and I would have walked out to the mound, you'd be like, I'm not coming out of this game. Yeah. That's the mentality, yeah. right? Man, yeah, the tech days, like, I do love tech, but there's a lot of parts of it, too. It's like, man, like, you got to trust your player in a lot of aspects of things. And that's that's kind of a different route than where I'm going. Let's let's kind of talk about and touch on now from, like, the college to the pro transition. Um, first, let's, before we go into that, like, 
kind of how was that that process to getting drafted when you ended up going to Oakland A's? Like how like you get done with you know the, the, what, what what was the when was the draft? I'm kind of getting confused. Like July when this past year? Was it July seventeenth? Seventeenth. Okay. Yes. It's a lot. It's pushed back. Obviously, it's different now. It's post COVID draft. Um, kind of walk us through that transition and kind of how that worked out for you. Yeah, it's stressful. Um, I was lucky enough to get invited to the draft combine this year, so I got to go out to San Diego, participate in the events. It was cool because you were able to meet with some teams individually, and you, know, you walk in with the GM, scouting director, everybody. It's kind of you know intimidating, yeah. but you walk in and you have those conversations. So coming out of those meetings, you know, you're like, I'm going to each one of those teams. Like <laughs> it's one of those guys. That was awesome. We agreed me and Emma each me and tell my dad like. I'm gonna be a pirate or I'm, I'm gonna be a Yankee, like I'm gonna be an Astro, whatever. Yeah. And then it came down to draft day, and my advisor, Sam Smart, is me, like, hey, the A's are taking you here in the fifth round. I have not talked to the A's once, not in high school, not in college at Louisville, not in college at Indiana, which was crazy because, you know, they had always told my coaches that they liked me and whatnot, but I had never personally talked to them. Mm-hmm. I always thought I was going to the Yankees. That's where Glant came from. Obviously, their stuff was working with what I was doing. I was like, you know, it's just a match made in heaven. That's where I'm going. Little we know, it's the A's they're calling. Never talked to them before in my life. Um, but honestly, like, again, it's one of those things you look back, and at first I'm like, the A's, like, I know nothing about them. Like, what's going on? And, uh, but then I think about it, and I'm like, they're just, it's a great opportunity for me because there's so many opportunities within the organization. And they're, they're not afraid to tell you that either. Like, yeah. us first getting there, they're like, hey, if you can do it, we're going to move you. So let, And they told that to our entire draft class, which I'm like, okay, maybe this is another match made in heaven. Like, I'm in a great spot. I'm starting to click. Things are starting to roll. Like, now let's move through this organization. So it, it's a very stressful process because, like I said, I mean, you may think you 100% know who's going to take you and here's where and whatnot. And things can be completely turned around in an instant. You know, there's business aspects, there's financial aspects. Yep. There's a lot of different factors that come into play. So it's a stressful process. If anyone else, if someone's out there listening, that's going to go through it, have zero expectations going into it because it'll save yourself a lot of stress. Just let whatever's meant to be be. And uh, yeah, just don't stress about it. Just enjoy the moment. Is how I would. That's, that's really good advice. Again, going back to letting things kind of happen organically and just doing everything the best of your ability in the right way. Like, you leave meetings thinking you're going to go with this team and then that team. And the, the whole Yankees, that makes complete sense, too, like that, that correlation. And the cool thing is, I mean, you know, it's, it's a big props to you because the A's do a phenomenal job of pitchers. Mm-hmm. I mean, in tradition, the last 20, 25 years, they, they do an awesome job drafting guys. Um, you know, so now you get to Pro Bowl, right? Um, you have a great start, you're learning, you're getting better and better each time. What was the biggest difference from a training perspective and the day-to-day perspective from college and, and, and uh, the pros? Maintenance. Maintenance. And pro ball, I mean, even in college, you know, you play, you have your midweek game, which if you're a weekend starter, really doesn't mean much to you. You're not, that's usually your bullpen day. Yep. Um, and then you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so you're playing four games a week, and it's kind of spread out in a sense. So you're, you're getting your two heavy, your lower body, your upper body, your total body lifts in. Every single week, nonstop, like not a big deal at all. Pro ball, I get in, and it's like every single day you have conditioning, like light. It's not like, you know, I'm running five miles to make sure I'm ready to go. It's, you know, you're getting 
you're eight 30 yard sprinting, which yep. at the end you're not like gassed, but you also feel like you got some sort of conditioning in to help you recover. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a long distance day, you have a cut day, and then you also have your three lifts, but instead of, you know, maybe in college it was four sets of five and you're trying to push some weight around, get a number every now and then, whatever, just feel strong and recovered because you have that time. Now it's, you're doing two sets of five. At the end of your lift, you're not exhausted. You feel like good because you just got, you know, a light pump, just something in to help the blood flow throughout your body, things like that. And I remember thinking back my first couple weeks, I was like, man, this is, I don't know if I like this. This is different. I want to like lift heavy and do all this stuff. But then I realized after being on Arizona for a couple of weeks and my first couple of weeks was stocked and I was like, my body feels amazing. I like, guess was the best my arm has ever felt and all these different things. And I was like, why is that? One, I was sleeping better. I was going to bed at like, because the time changed, I was going to bed at like 7 p.m. and waking up at 7 a.m. <laughs> until I got used to it. Um, but two, just like never overstressing the body, knowing that, you know, I'm going to be throwing every few days. Because yep. also the frequency that you throw in pro ball is way different as well. We're on a six game schedule. So each week you can kind of get back a day too. Um, so I would just say the biggest difference is the maintenance aspect, knowing when you can push the envelope a little bit, knowing when to pull back a little bit. But the program's designed to get you through, what is my league season, 120 games. Yep. Um, it's not designed for you to be throwing 100 in April and then not be able to make it to the end of the year. Yep. So that's the biggest difference when you're playing 120 games compared to college on average, probably 60, 65 games. So yep. it's doubling your volume of games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's one thing that's really overlooked. I think people think that, you know, it's all grind all the time. And we talked about it a lot. It's like, you know, what's your goal? Like you're off season, you're not playing every day, strength, mass, maybe, maybe you need to cut, maybe you need to get, you know, a little bit more explosive. There's certain goals. And then when you get to season, it's like whatever you're doing in the weight room, if it's not helping you perform on the field, it's not, if it's hindering you in any way, there's something that's got to change. Yeah. And that's a lot of things that we talked about that, like there's certain volumes and stuff that you've got to adjust to. And, and I think that that's, that's, and I don't want the people listening, like, you know, when you get to that in season, cause I think a lot of people think they can't do anything yeah. and that's definitely not the answer. You know, you've just got to understand like where your energy needs are. And part of like he was just saying is like, he was sleeping. A lot much, but he was sleeping more uh, more hours. He was getting used to the time change, but it forced him to get a lot of sleep. And that's one thing like that that's overlooked all the time. A lot of guys would rather stay up late, play video games, watch TV, whatever, and they end up getting six hours of sleep and wonder where they feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of it right there. Now I want to kind of dive into the conditioning part of it because obviously you know I hate guys that run poles and long distance and stuff. I've always been anti pole guy years and years and years. From you aspect, you know, whether, you know, you're training with me, you're training at school, whether as a pitcher, a power pitcher, a guy that can maintain velocity, can be a starter or a relief guy, what do you think sprint-wise helps you the most from a day-in-day-out thing? Like, keeps your legs in shape, but also keeps you feeling fresh and good. Like, what would you say is, is kind of like the best distance for you that you feel? And it could be a couple different things. What do you like the best? Personally, I like... Like if I were to start on a Friday, the next day for me, like I said, it's not poles that make me go two miles or whatever. With the A's, what we did, which I really liked, it was half poles. Mm-hmm. So, and it was basically on your own time, but you had like 10 of them. Mm-hmm. So you're still getting the volume, but you, the intent of it 
it wasn't so stressful to where you're gasping for breath. It was more like a body flush, which to me, I realized I really liked because I always feel good after I run a mile. I hate it because I hate distance running and I'm not yeah. good at it, but it always made my body feel good. Like I felt accomplished. I felt like it got flushed out. I felt kind of renewed. Same thing with that. I was able to do, like I said, whatever, 10 half pulls at maybe a 65% intensity. Yep. And at the end of it, you know, I might need a couple breaths, but I feel good the next day. Mm-hmm. It's, it was all about what's going to make me better, feel better the next day. So then the next day would have been maybe six 40-yard sprints. And the next day might have been a little bit more intensity, six 30-yard cuts, so 30 yards and back. Mm-hmm. And then the next day might have been light, so it might have been like a 20-yard sprint. And then the next day was like a agility day. So you're doing a lot of cut work, a more explosive movements. Um, the day before you pitch, kind of get you primed and ready to go for your outing. Um, so to me, and I didn't ever believe you when I was younger, and you were telling me, <laughs> hey, like you need to get your sprint work in. <clears throat> I never thought it would catch up to me until I got with the A's, and it's like, holy crap, we run literally every single day. There's some version of it. Mm-hmm. And I think I always was pushed away from it because I was always thought of running is, you know, gasping for air, not being able to breathe because I'm overexerting my body because I'm running all this distance and all these max effort sprints. It's like, that's not really what you do and what you need when it comes down to what a baseball player truly does from that aspect. So I found that very interesting. Again, some some players might reverse that order. They might mix it up. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's what we did this past year that I found worked really well for me. No, I think that's awesome. I think that you touched on a couple of things that I think are huge. One was the tempo runs. Like you were saying, you're going about 65%, still maintaining a stride, still getting some effort in, and you kind of feel like you're flushed and feel better. Those are super underutilized, especially like I like like programming tempo runs a couple times a week or at least once a week is a kind of a big deal. So you're still getting your work in, but it's almost a recovery. You're still getting, you know, explosive work in, but just at a lower intensity. It's kind of like a lower intensity weight room day. Um, and then, but the big thing too is like the distance stuff. Like, there's there, you're 100%. Like, John Smoltz still to this day, every time you hear him talk, talks about how he loved running long distance and everything. And I always tell guys, like, you know, I'm I'm big anti because every time I would run long distance, I know you the same way. Like, I would feel like absolute crap. Like, my body did not feel good. And when you carry a lot of muscle, when you're an explosive type of guy, you know, energy systems are a real thing. Like, and, and how you train is a real thing. You're never going to see an elite track athlete that runs 100 and 200 doing long distance work because it's not going to help this sport. Yeah. But for some reason, we, we live in this, this past where guys love long distance and old school guys specifically love pitchers doing long distance because they think, oh, well, if I'm doing this for 45 minutes or an hour of running, I could, I could do it for an entire game. And for me, it's it's short bursts of energy explosive over and over and over. And being able to repeat that over and over and over is more important. Now, if you've got a guy that is obsessed with it, okay, maybe once or twice a week because yeah. you want that guy to feel comfortable with what he's doing and everything. And the old me, like 15 years ago, I'm like, no, you're never doing this because it's not going to help you. Yeah. But part of that is the mental thing. Like, I you got to, yeah, you got to let, you got to let each guy be his own guy. And he's like, coach, I need this. All right, dude. You got one or two days of this that you could do. Well, and I think too, like part of it, the long distance running for me is the mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see pitchers. For me, what goes first is my command. It's not my velocity. I can be dog tired and I'm still going to throw 93 to 96 miles an hour. That's yep. not going to change. Yep. But how efficient and effective I am at that velocity is what differs. So for me, like 
no, I hate long distance running, but part of it too is maybe once a week or once every other week, I do need to utilize it so that I am trying to strain my mind and push myself through it so that I can learn to do that in the game setting, whether it be long distance or it's just more higher intense sprints, things that tire me out and make me want to quit and then being able to push through that and keep getting stronger. Um, so yeah, I was about to touch on that mental part too. That's funny you said that. No, that, that, that's actually a phenomenal point. I, I'm actually, I love that you said that because it's the same thing with basketball players in a jump shot. Like guys, they, they can, you know, throw a jump shot off on and on four quarters on many attempts, but is it accurate? You know what I mean? And that's, that, that's kind of, a, that's a really good point. And I didn't even think about it like that. It's like, you know, a certain point in time, like you can still throw hard, but are you hitting your spots? Does your ball have as much bite as it usually does? And that's a big part of that mental game right there, um, especially from a running standpoint. Because for me, I always thought the running standpoint, like obviously, as you know, like lower body days in the weight room, that's a mental part. It's easier to train upper body wise, but the running is always something that can train your mind in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's talk about like, you know, we talked about the training between starts. Like, what do you like to do throwing wise now? Like, and so say you start on a Friday, do you throw the next day after a long start? Like, kind of break us down your seven-day process of throwing right now, and like what you would, what you've learned, what you kind of enjoyed to do, and, and help you peak. Yeah, so like I got really big into the reverse throws that we talked about when I first got back, mm-hmm. and pivot picks solely because I can do them with the plyo ball. I don't need a partner. Yep. The reverse throws, especially, are more of a recovery tool. It helps me feel separation, which to me is very important the day after you throw, just to get that mobility back, get that feeling back, because you get so tightened up after throwing, right? And then the pivot picks, again, those, I mean, it's just so easy for you to control the intent at which you do them. And it's just another motion for you to get some motion throughout the arm, get some fluidity with your body um, so that you're feeling good. And again, I do maybe two sets of 10 reverse. I do two sets of 10 and one set of 10. Two sets of 10 reverse those, one set of 10 pivot picks every single day. What's your uh, intensity when you do those for the listeners to understand? Reverse throws, the first set's maybe like 50 to 60%. The second set builds up between 75 to maybe 90%. Just because as you're going, you're warming up a little bit. Now yep. on a recovery day, that's the day after, it's all about 50%. Again, like I said, feeling more of the separation, feeling that mobility aspect, feeling just getting the arm moving again. Um, yeah, day after, again, now if I feel terrible and I'm just like, I need a day off, I don't think that's wrong necessarily to take a day off the day after you pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's a lot of benefit to throwing consistently throughout a week. Like the guys that, I mean, I even used to do it too. I'm victim of it when I was, uh, younger, you know, I would only throw on our lesson days, yeah. and it's like, well, you know, maybe I'm a little sore, so I don't want to throw. But it's like throwing on those days in the right way with the right intent is going to help you last for a full season. Yep. And again, that's where the adjustment comes from: high school to college, college to pro ball is the volume and frequency at which you throw. So now learning. What does it take to get me through a full season? Which that's what I'm really curious about this year. This is my first full 120 game season that I get to go through. What does that look like to keep me healthy? What do I need to do on the day to day? Obviously, I have a general idea after going through a little bit last year. Um, but I'm just a big fan of frequently getting your throwing conditioning in. Yep. It's just like anything else. You can train your body so much in the weight room. You have to train your body the same way throwing wise. You can't just throw high intent because you have an outing it's like you got to throw throughout the week and get your volume in so that your arm is prepared and durable enough to withhold that so 
that's the biggest takeaway right there. Like we, we talk, we've talked about it a lot all the time. And like you treat your body just, uh, throwing just like you do in the weight room. And, and so many guys. So we're doing an LT. We're doing a velo program right now. And Jack's heard me rip on the young guys. Like they just decide not to throw or not do anything because they're not used to the day in and day out. And they don't understand. It's like. You're not going most of the wall every time you throw. You, you, there's certain intensities. There's a high-load programming format that you got to do. But like you just said, like the recovery stuff, the reverse throws, and all those things. Like that's a big part of a program for a guy to have a complete the, to build a complete thrower or pitcher, if you will. Um, and that's kind of things like that's something you kind of learned over time, right? Like you, you learn like, hey, man, I'm starting to feel a lot better the more consistent I do this. The body does amazing things. It adapts really well. Um, it's, you, know, and, and you, you train hard, you train hard, you train hard, and you all of a sudden, like, man, I'm starting to feel a lot better, you know, especially like in the beginning of the offseason, like towards the middle of the offseason. So, like, Jack, as I was watching him and, and, and training him, it was about a month and a half ago or two months ago, I looked at him and I go, damn, like, this is like, he's hitting a whole other level right now. He's recovered better. He was pushing through sleds like it was effortless. Even though you were fatigued at times, the movement and everything was more quality. And it seemed, at least it looked in the period effortless a lot of times. And, and that's, that's one, but that again, is, that's the consistency of doing those things. Whereas if you lift it for two or three weeks, you're like, ah, I'm not going to lift today. Ah, I'm not going to lift this day. And a week or two off, you wouldn't be in that physical kind of condition right there. Um, now, I kind of break down like long toss wise now, like you're already a harder thrower. You know, do you long toss like consistently from that week, like throughout the week? Like how, how kind of, how are you doing that now? Or are you doing it? Yeah, um, honestly, I do. I say I've saved my long toss more for my off-season programming, mm -hmm. just for more of a, a build-up period going into spring training. Personally, in-season for me, I like to stick to 90 to 120 feet. For some reason, like to me, that's what's become comfortable because I stay within my mechanics at that range. Mm. If I go beyond that and I start getting a crow hop in and things like that, front side starts to pull up. I start doing things that take me away from what I do really well on the mound and what I've learned to be better at on the mound. I kind of fall back into old habits when I'm trying to grip and rip and throw the ball as far as I can. Not to say it's not great for some people. Like we've said, like for me, I'm already big and powerful. So learning to apply that force in the baseball, I already do that so well. Yep. I, I do better at consistently working on my mechanics that translate to in-game success. So for me, the 90 to 120, working on different pitch grips, being more consistent with movement of pitches and command of pitches is where I have success throughout the week. Like I said, on the off season, trying to get my arm in shape, things like that, sure, I think it's great, I think I need it. Um, but in season, I just really am a lot more comfortable with staying within myself versus, I mean, you know how it is, you start doing something, Immediately, you can revert back to old habits. Yep. Just yep. getting to the same side of the situation. Quickly, after a day. Exactly. And that, it's really interesting that you say that. And if, if those were listening, you need to go back and listen to the Zach Thompson interview because he literally said the same thing that Jack did. And we're talking about Zach made his professional debut with the, the Cardinals this past year. Um, I think it was September calls. So might have been in August. Um, but Jack literally said the same thing that now you're going lower. I think for me, like listening and watching guys, training guys, there's a time and period in your career where that long toss and max effort's a part of it. And the intent part, you know, after a while, you don't really need to teach intent. And a lot of guys like you, I never really had to teach intent with you. That was not even a thing, that didn't exist. The intent was always there. It was more about control, the mental part, controlling, understanding what pitches in certain situations, also the feel, 
And now, like, Zach would say the same thing. He goes, I don't go past, I think he said 120, might have been 140 or something like that, that his mechanics start falling apart and he doesn't feel like he's doing what he's supposed to because now you're fine-tuning everything. Like, you've already got your sculpture, right? Now you've got to do little things here and there to kind of perfect what you want to do and master what you want to do. Um, and that, that that's awesome because that right there, that's a guy that's learning the process. That's a guy that's understanding his body at a whole different level now and understand what he does well. And I think like as human beings, I think we all are really bad as a generality at self-reflection, like kind of seeing things day in and day out. And like, we're all guilty, like we make mistakes, but I think, you know, making the same mistakes over and over, we're not learning from anything and just listening to you talk and hearing things and we've had these conversations and we're a little more in depth here, but like you're reflecting on what makes you the best Jack Perkins. And I think that's really vital. And you know, look how, let me dive, dig in deep a little bit with your brain here. Do you ever sit down and have kind of reflections and kind of break down and write kind of mental notes, or maybe do you have do you actually write physical notes on things that you learn, like from you know the day to day when you're playing in season, off season, like kind of how do you do that? Kind of hold yourself accountable to okay, hey, I need to change this, I need to get better at this, or I'm learning this. How do I implement this as part of my training regimen? Yeah, no, I think it's a daily evaluation, honestly. Um, for me. And for anyone, once you get the confidence to trust your training process right, those are your daily check marks. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, yeah, I was reading um, Atomic Habits, I think. Mm -hmm. And in one of the first few chapters, it talks about finding daily wins. So for me, it started as simple as making my bed every single day, which there's a couple different books and a couple different podcasts and people that have talked about it until for some reason when I read it in that book, I was like, okay, maybe I should actually try it. <laughs> and it was amazing to me, this was when I was in Indiana, I actually started trying to do it, how coming home to a clean room, knowing that I had made my bed in the morning, just immediately was like, well, that's one positive that I can take away from today. Even if I had a bad day, I came home, oh, well, but that's made I don't have to worry about that right so then it, it takes one thing you start with one then you start finding another okay well, I had a good day throwing okay what did I do today throwing that made it a good day well I was very consistent with my spot my arm action felt good whatever it may be jot that down okay that's your two wins today you keep trying to pile up these wins on the day you look back in six months it's like you've had a ton of days where your wins have, out, have outcast your losses and you have this confidence in this, like you said, the self-evaluation where it's like, I've constantly gotten better throughout this time period. Um, I think the guys that get content and comfortable with where they're at, a lot of times can look back after a few weeks, a couple months and be like, oh crap, I got some work to do, right? Because you lose track of the growth aspect and the progress and you get content with where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the evaluation part of it, it's a day-to-day -day thing. I mean, you're going to have days where you might not have any wins. That yeah. one, the one win you have is might make in your bed, but it's knowing that the next day, okay, how am I going to get a win today? How am I going to get one more win this day, this week, whatever it may be? Um, that's been very huge and kind of revitalizing my mindset. Just because, like I said, I used to be very outcome-based. It used to all be about, am I a top 20 player in the country? Am I getting drafted in the first round? You know, what it, whatever it is, now it's... How am I getting better in this specific day? If it's going to better, like you said, Jack Perkins. Yep. Because you, can, I can look and see what Sean there does all the time. Yep. What What you do might be not a good thing for me to do. Yep. Yep. There's right. yeah, There's different things that each of us going to do. There's certain things that I do that you could be like, oh man, that'll help, but it's a different variation. It's something a little different, or it's like, man, I can't do that. That's not. That's not for me. And and the mental toughness and. 
you know, the mental acuity and awareness of, of, of your surroundings and like immediately when you said when you walk in your room and you make your bed and it looks clean, like for me, I immediately like I'm in your head, I'm like, I feel better. It looks better, like you are around. You hear the term like, you know, you dress well, play well, look good, play good. That goes with everything in your life. Like what does your car look like? What does your house look like? What do your relationships look like? Are you are you confrontational with everyone? Are you lifting people up? Are you making people feel good? You know, and I battle that all the time because I have this hard-nosed mentality and it's like, hey, why don't you have that same mentality? And I gotta step back and go, meet people where they're at. John, calm down. Like, let's be aware where we're at. This person might be trying really hard, but they're trying hard where they're at. And that's the thing is it's like, you look back and if you start sitting there and like little wins, like, did I make every conversation and every person that I meet today, was that a highlight of their day? Or was that a bad part of their day? And, and that's the thing is like, we're all guilty. Like we have bad days, right? We feel like crap sometimes, but you know, give the best version of yourself at all point in times. To me, that's a good way to look at, like that's a win in the day too. Um, you know, there's a lot more aspect in being an athlete and your whole person and who you are isn't tied up to what you do. It's who you are as a person. And I know you talk about all the time, like when you go into the injury and stuff, um, you know, your, your personality type, you know, Jack Purvis is going to be an MLB stud, star, boom, gets injured. And then now, you know, it's like, okay, who am I? What, 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 what defines me? This injury doesn't define me. You know, who I am as a baseball player doesn't define me. Jack Perkins defines himself, what he does day in and day out himself. And everybody, so people are listening, people that talk about Jack, it doesn't matter who it is, they always have great things to say about him. And there's always things that he does. You know, so Jack's a professional athlete, he's around guys in this, he's around middle schoolers, he's around elite high school baseball players, they're gonna play Division One in college, he treats every single person the same. So the things that I'm saying right now, how he treats people, I see that, those kids see that. There might be 10 years down the road that Jack's playing and they go, that guy, he spent some time having a conversation with me. And I'll use this example if you're okay with it. Well, we're here, so we're okay with it. I guess. But there was a guy that had that just had a UCL injury. And I just pulled Jack off the side. Hey, Jack, will you have some conversations with him a little bit about the process and when you go? And he sat down for 40, I mean, 30, 45 minutes and just talked to the guy about what to expect and, and how to handle this. And that's something that, you know, that's knowledge that kid's going to be able to take the rest of his life. I say kid, he's a young man, he's in college. Um, but I think that's a really good aspect of things, and that's a really like I love the, the little win thing. Um, but I had to give you some props and, and flex about you for a little bit too. Um, now uh, you know I kind of I know you're getting ready to throw your bullpen a little bit. I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit on you know your pitch arsenal a little bit. So I know you've always had a lightning fastball, electric fastball. Um, kind of break down like what makes you like what are you great at as a pitcher for those who are listening because you've always thrown hard, but like. When did you feel like you really started developing an arsenal? And I know you, it's always, that's a loaded question because you're always developing your arsenal. You're always getting better. Um, kind of break us down your pitch number two, your pitch three, and, and kind of your philosophy and how you're building yourself as a, a complete pitcher right now. Yeah, I think for me, I took the biggest jump forward this past year with my fastball command, which everybody says it, right? If you have no power in fastball, you can get away with it a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And which I did, I got away with it for the majority of my career up to this point. And at Indiana, I took a step forward from Louisville in the sense that I learned how to confidently pitch in to hitters. Like that goes so undervalued oh, because it sets everything else up, right? Especially for a power guy. Um, and moving forward with that, it was like, now you learn how to utilize, for me, my visual cues. 
until I could trust my fastball and trust where my eyesight was on my fastball, I couldn't really trust where my eyesight had to be for my breaking ball, right? Because you're trying to throw everything out of the same slot, yep. same arm action, same everything, so the hitter has no idea it's coming. Mm-hmm. And so for me, once I started commanding my fastball to both sides of the plate, truly pitching in with confidence, now it's like, okay, this is where I'm throwing my fastball. In order to get my breaking ball, which moves like this, in the zone, I have to change my eyesight up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm throwing it at where I'm trying to get maybe an 0-2 swing and miss on a fastball, right? Top of the zone, just at the letters, trying to get a swing through. That's where I'm throwing my breaking ball for a strike. Okay, what if it's 0-2 and you're trying to throw your breaking ball? Okay, now I'm trying to throw my breaking ball right at the catcher's center, like I'm throwing a middle-middle fastball, 3-0 fastball, get back in the count, because I'm going to start at the middle, and it's going to end on top of the plate. Mm. So for me, learning to utilize my fastball command allowed me to set up my breaking ball, which everybody, to me, has always said is my best pitch. Yes, I've always thrown hard, but I've always been able to spin it really well. Um, so I have the fastball, the breaking ball. I developed a cutter over the last couple of years. It's been really beneficial for me because it's practically the same speed as my forcing fastball. Um, just has a little bit of cut to it. It's been really good to go high and into lefties. A way to righties when I can manipulate it more to be like a hard slider. Um, and then this year, the focal point for me is the change up off of all of those. Um, so I'm really consistent right now. Fastball, cutter, breaking ball has continued to come a long way with being able to put it in the zone and also being able to use as a put away. Um, so now this year, now developing the change up. And then I'm hoping hopefully by the middle of this year, it's to the point where I'm like, okay, now I can really hone in on, you know, pitch sequencing with the change up and things like that. Because now I've started to pitch sequence the fastball, the cutter, and the breaking ball. Now adding in a fourth pitch, it kind of scrambles all the sequences, right? Because depending on the hitter, depending on the situation, you learn to use things in different ways. So as I, as I have evolved as a pitcher, it's, it's so intriguing to me. That's why I love baseball. It's just because of how much I've continued to learn. Like just when I thought I was good enough and, you know, I'm going to be a big leaguer. Like that's your mindset in high school, right? It's nope. like nope. you get into college, high-level division one baseball, into pro ball, and you're like, holy crap, that's so much more that I have to do in order to get to where I want to be. So it's a never-ending process, and you hear that from big leaguers. Now, when you talk to Mike Trout, he's probably still going to say the same thing. I'm continuing to learn, continuing to grow, continuing to do different things to make me better. Um, and I, I just find that so interesting. What's been beneficial to me is having that growth mindset. Like I said, the day-to-day, every single day you have to have the, the perspective that I'm going to get better, mm-hmm. right? It can't just be that you know I'm going to have success with what I have, which you have to be confident in that. But you have to know that the next wave of talent is coming. The next wave of technology is coming. The next wave of international players are coming. So with that, how are you each day making that arsenal 1% better? Yep, yep. And the littlest things matter. Like we, we talk all the time, and I use it with every single guy. Like the higher levels that you go, the smallest little change has the biggest impact. And listen to you talk about the cutter. Like such a small change, little things, and then it's disgusting. And like the changeup, like just working on the field and it looks disgusting, you know? It's 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 pretty cool just seeing certain things like the little things here and there and, and things that you figure out and from the training I might like I can relate now, you know, just training guys, like little things in the weight room, little small changes. You know, you might change things on a whim because like, oh, I just saw that work really well. We need to do this. This needs to be a part of that. Um, well, I'm I'm gonna kinda wrap it up here, like let me let me kind of touch up like advice wise. Like you know, you're sitting here, you're getting ready to go in um, spring training. What's your biggest advice for players right now? And you've touched on a lot of really really good things. Um, what's your biggest advice for players? Like whether they're high school, 
making that transition, you know, to get them to another level, because there's levels to this game. It doesn't matter if you're a high school baseball player, you're a middle school baseball player, you're a pro baseball player. There's levels to everything you do. And I think that's one thing that people overlook. It's like, well, I'm good at this. Well, it doesn't matter if you're good at this, like someone's better. Like, how can you hold yourself accountable and make sure you're always working to get that next level? What's kind of one of those things? And you kind of touched on a little bit with the daily accountability stuff, but what's kind of your biggest advice for, for guys that are wanting to get to the level of yeah, I actually just saw a video. I don't know if it was on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. And Kobe's talking about it, right? When he's, I think, getting his jersey hung in the Lakers arena, and he's like, you know, thank you guys for allowing me to live my dream. And he's talking about, it and he's like, you know, the dream isn't all the rings that I want. It's not the MVPs. It's not all these awards. It's the four AMs. It's taking that nap and then going back at twelve and going back and forth and getting, you know, 500 more shots up, shots up before I go to bed. He's like, what people don't realize is that is the dream. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just great. You have, you have big goals. You're no different than anybody else. Everybody's got big goals. Everybody has high aspirations. You have to be so committed to those goals that you're not willing to take a single day off to achieve those goals. You fall more in love with what you're doing on the day to day than what the future has in store for you. Mm-hmm. And I think when you put your head down long enough and continue to grind long enough and you look up and it's five years down the road, you're going to be like, how did I get here? Like what, what happened? Yep. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing. And the other thing I would, I would say is just make sure you commit yourself to relationships that truly matter in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's so many people that can bring you down, especially in this era, this generation with social media and things like that. Find the people that truly matter that are truly going to make you better, that truly are committed to who you are, you know, because everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's going to sin. Everyone's going to do things that they shouldn't have. But having those people in your corner that are going to pull you along with them, be like, I know you're down right now, but come on, let's go. I believe in you. You can do this. Keep going. Like you got this. And then, you know, just allow them to be your support staff. I think that's so crucial that people don't touch on enough nowadays is who is your support staff. Yeah. For me, I've had a great one. I've had, I've had you, I've had my parents, I've had my college coaches, I've had the Louisville FCA people, I have my fiance. You know, I have all these great people in my corner that have helped me through those difficult times in my life and helped me through the great times in my life that yeah. have been there to pull me back down to the earth. Like, hey, your head's getting big right now. I come back, you know. Um, so, yeah, I would just say the day-to-day, that dream isn't necessarily the successes. It's the grind of the day-to-day. And then just the support staff you have in your corner. Um, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it's not given enough that perspective of it. Everyone yeah. thinks, you know, I got to get drafted, but it's more, you know, just love the game. Have yeah. fun playing the game. I think that, especially the, my favorite part about that is the relationships, you know, your circle, essentially. I think that's the most overlooked thing. Like, you can work hard. You can do a lot of the right things, but if your circle's not right, it can kind of lead you down a dark path in a lot of times. Um, but it could also give yourself excuses at certain times. And I think that's 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 a really great point, um, especially nowadays. You're 100% right. With social media and everything like that, it's very easy to fall in love with what you see on like the good things that you see and, and not understand like the real human interaction, real human communication, and, and, and someone that's really in your corner. Um, but well guys I hope you really enjoyed this episode but my plan is to actually have Jack on periodically a couple times throughout the year I, you know getting touch ups and because I mean we could sit here and talk for hours about a lot of different things and I kind of wanted you guys to get a 
kind of a synopsis of, of who Jack is and, and kind of his story thus far, because it's just getting started. We were joking around the other day that he's still in chapter three in, in his in his in his story, and there's a lot of things that's 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 coming forward that he's going to be stepping into, and there's a lot of things to learn from, and there's a lot of things he's prepared for and ready to kill it. Um, but if you guys enjoyed this episode, please like it, subscribe, um, follow Jack on social media. Um, anything social media wise you want to shout out, if you guys want to follow. Instagram, J underscore Perkins 6. Twitter, at Jack Perkins 06. Give me a follow. Absolutely. And follow his process and his story. And it's going to, it's, it's pretty cool, guys. He's a guy to definitely pay attention to because he's he's doing things the right way. And he's, 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 he's following it consistently. And that's a big thing, consistency, guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, we'll see you guys later.